I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. Hey, y'all. I've been on a bit of a hiatus, but I'm back now and will be bringing back my normal cadence of episodes every Tuesday. As you know, I released my second book, Resilient, and the first with a national publishing house in early April. I've been on a virtual tour with some of my amazing friends and inspirations. You can still access the tour and all the conversations for just $30 via my website, SavitraWilson.com, which also includes a book. If I could be honest for a second, it's been tough releasing a book, going on a virtual tour, even though it's been successful and running a business. Yes, your girl has been super busy, but I do realize heavy is the head that wears the crown. And that goes for each of you out there who has many responsibilities and you're expected to carry them with grace and execute with efficiency. So yeah, it's been it's been a hard uh, quarter, but we are pushing through. Last week was particularly hard for me, as most Mays are. May 3rd is my late mother's birthday, and then Mother's Day quickly follows. Uh, It took me some time to be in a good space with Mother's Day and not be immensely saddened by the celebration of mothers in the absence of my own. Yet each year, the night before Mother's Day, my mother engulfs my thoughts, and usually the tears fall with memories of her and with memories that we never got a chance to create. I know it sounds sad, but yeah, still good memories. Nonetheless, this year I decided to spend Mother's Day with my bonus mother and aunt, along with my cousin and goddaughter in Minnesota. I'm actually recording this episode here right now. Next week, I'll be back on my normal new guest rotation, but I'll also be releasing a few of my tour stops as well. This conversation is with a close friend of mine, Jason Mowat. Uh, What I love most about Jason is his optimism, calmness, and desire for us all to feel real joy through our experiences. His calmness is really unmatched, which might seem crazy considering he's also the CEO and founder of Trap Karaoke, the national live event showcase where you and your friends participate in karaoke to what else? One of your favorite trap songs. When I talk to Jason, we are usually connected by this desire to leave the world a better place, but we also care deeply about the people in our lives and the people around us and how we can help them. Um, In this episode, Jason talks about where he got his start, which was the political stage as a congressional staffer, to how meditation changed his life and what's next for Trap Karaoke as last year, COVID-19 and and a pandemic put a stop to what was supposed to be a hundred city tour. So yeah, let's find out when Trap Karaoke is coming back and what Jason has been up to. So my next guest on the Resilient Virtual Book Tour is my friend and entrepreneur, Jason Moat. Jason is also the founder and CEO of Trap Karaoke, uh, which began in the fall of 2015 after Jason, a music festival organizer, envisioned what he calls a user-generated concert experience placing fans at the center of the concert experience. The result, a platform on top of music, a backdrop for life, a nexus into cultural participation, personal empowerment, cherished moments, human connection, and community. It's been a year now since COVID-19 shut down all live events, so I'm excited to catch up with Jason to see what he's been up to and what he sees for the future. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. So I, you know, 
Jason and I always are in communication for the most part. And I was like, oh, I have to bring you on my book tour. And previously I had talked about bringing you on my podcast, but I was like, no, I need to bring Jason on my book tour because you are probably creating something that like millions of people know about, but in many ways, you're kind of mysterious. Well, you think that you're kind of mysterious. You are. (laughs) You are. I think that every time I tell people like the person behind um, this amazing just experience is you. They're like, oh, they they never know who's behind the scenes. And it's you like the the mastermind behind all of this greatness that is, uh, I would say, the the Jason experience. (laughs) Well, thank you. The Jason experience. I like that. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, Yeah. Um, so yeah. I really want to kind of jump in and have like a few questions for you. But as I said, and as I tell everyone, it's a free flowing conversation. So whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart, feel free to say that or respond however you want to. Um, and so my first question when I always ask everyone is to talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you came from. I know you have uh, roots that uh, go back all the way to Jamaica. So yeah, tell me a little bit about how uh, you grew up and your background, where you come from. Wow, you really did your research there. <laughs> um, but also, we talk about this, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah um, well, I was born um, in Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, came to the States when I was six years old. Um, I'm the youngest of seven children, uh, which is pretty cool. Lucky number seven. Um, studied economics and psychology in college. And, you know, that's what kind of started me down this path. Um, from there, I got really interested in marketing. I worked on Capitol Hill for about seven years. Um, after that, I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. So, you know, I started a music festival with some friends in Washington, DC. That was pretty cool. Moved to New York, like maybe a year or two later. Um, and then a year after that, I started working for this amazing guy named David Castino, uh, the CEO of Thunderclap. And, you know, we talk a lot about being an entrepreneur, but I also think there's a lot of value in learning from someone else, you know. And I can honestly say I wouldn't be the leader or the entrepreneur I am today had I never met Dave. Uh, being able to work with him and, you know, just saw how he went about things, how he treated people. I always say Dave is optimistic to the cellular level. Like if you zoomed in on one of his little cells, they'd be like optimistic. And he really showed me the, the qualities and traits that you needed to be a successful entrepreneur and also just a great leader and a great person. And so, you know, as fate would have it while I was working for Dave, um, you know, this idea of a trap karaoke came about mm-hmm. and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, but we're not going to start at the end. So I want to go all the way back to your childhood and your background, right? So taking it a step back, do you feel like your childhood or your experiences growing up prepared you for what you would do next? And I say, you know, I've talked to people like their family members were entrepreneurs, their family members had businesses. I know that your grandfather was entrepreneurial, but... From your experience, did you look around as like a kid and even as you grew into, um, you know, your teenage years going into adulthood, I know you had a very different path at first. So tell tell us a little bit about 
that part of your your life? That's interesting. Um, I mean, I think for me growing up, I had some early entrepreneurial uh, ventures, you know, just as a kid um, who liked video games and trying to figure out how I can buy the video games that I want. Um, I would have, I would come up with like all these entrepreneurial ventures. I would do like go to flea markets, buy used video games and resell them at school. Um, you know, I'd sell Pokemon cards, those sort of things. Um, I never really embraced this idea of like being an entrepreneur the way it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was something that I just naturally gravitated towards because of my personality, you know. Uh, being the youngest, I was always the one that was just like out in front. I was allowed a lot of, I was given a lot of rope to take a lot of risks. So I, from a young age, I had a, you know, a really high tolerance for risk and really trying to, you know, like just be be out in front. And I think just because of my personality and the things that I naturally gravitated towards, um, it led me to entrepreneurship. You know, I can't say I was, you know, from the day I was five, I was like, I'm going to be a CEO one day and I'm going to own my own business and stuff like that. I think it naturally just came out of my personality and sort of, you know, the things that I felt like I was good at. Um, and then the things that I wasn't so good at, I just had to learn along the way in order to, you know, have a full skill set to be able to be successful as an entrepreneur. But I can't say it was something where, you know, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, I definitely can't say that. Well, I know at one point you were in politics. So yeah. how did you get thrust into politics? You worked on Capitol Hill. What was that experience like? Because we we might should be looking at like a future politician or oh, yeah, maybe at one point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they let me be president at this point. But uh, uh, man, it was just one of those things, you know, like, uh, you know, just fate. I um, literally weeks after I graduated from high school, I got an internship with uh, Senator, Senator Robert Byrd, um, from West Virginia. And what I thought was going to be just a summer internship ended up being like <laughs> 70 years on Capitol Hill. Uh, I remember the end of the summer, you know, he was asking me if I wanted to stay on while I was going to school and be, uh, you know, be his intern. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, yo, I want to have my crazy college days. Like, I'm not trying to do this. So I declined. And he was just like, okay. Half an hour later, my mom calls me and she said, you know, what are you doing? Go back in there and tell them that, you know, you want to do it. And so that was that was what happened. And then I ended up being on Capitol Hill, you know, again for seven years. And for that, I never really had any interest in politics uh, whatsoever. It was definitely a new world for me. But, you know, I I think that experience is like probably one of the most valuable experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, not only seeing how, you know, laws are made and how, you know, things work there, but also just working for someone like Senator Byrd. Um, Cause I also had a friendship with him. You know, there were, there were many times where I would go out to his house in McLean and we'd sit on his porch and, you know, he was a senior Senator, uh, grew up like during the great depression and had all these stories. And so all these, all this wisdom and things that he would try to pass down to me. Um, and I remember the three things he always told me is one was to uh, keep good company, um, you know, listen to my mom and try to make something out of myself. And he repeated, like, keep good company, like at least four times because uh, he felt like that was, you know, that was really important. 
And so I was really grateful just to have that experience. Um, you know, he's a great, a great man, um, accomplished a lot. And I'd never been that close in proximity to someone who was like literally a historical, you know, who's going to be a historical figure would accomplish so much. And, you know, it sort of made me start thinking about what I want my legacy to be and what I want to leave behind. So, um, yeah, my time on Capitol Hill was, was great. Most of it was spent working for Senator Byrd, uh, worked for the Senate, and then spent some time at like the Commerce Department um, during the Obama administration. Um, but after all that, I, man, I wanted to get entrepreneurship and that's kind of where the risk taking came in because after I left Capitol Hill, I was just like, you know, it was kind of those thing, one of those things where you had to, it was like sink or swim, you know? And I decided I was going to give this entrepreneurship thing a try and started, you know, with working with some friends to organize a music festival. And then, you know, the rest is history. But I do remember that summer. I remember like my last day at, uh, where I was working and I went to the park and I sat on the bench and I was just like, you know, I was just basically talking to myself and I was just saying like, this, this day, this is going to be the point. This is my opportunity to chart a new course. You know what I mean? And I felt the weight of the moment, you know what I mean? Looking back, um, yeah, I remember that day so vividly, but that was the day I decided that, you know, this was something that I was going to do. So you talk about um, Senator Byrd and even looking up to him in in a way that he passed on advice to you and looked at him as like a friend. And I remember something you said like a while back about just how his experience even changed his perception of the world and, you know, what he ultimately may have held as um, thoughts or previous experiences that have dictated certain ways that he moved through life. And it kind of reminded me in that conversation about when you have new information, you can change your mind and you can do things differently, right? That are for better outcomes of people. And I would love to know, like from that experience, as you head into the entrepreneurship, did politics kind of shape your thinking or way um, that it impacted your future, right? So what impact of those lessons and of seven years, like I don't think you spend anywhere for seven years and aren't impacted in a way, uh, whether that's your mindset, whether that's I'm never going into politics in my life after this, whatever it is. Well, the one thing I told myself was that I would never go back to Capitol Hill unless I was like a senator or, you know, a member. Um, Aha! We still have hope, everyone. <laughs> but, you know, again, I... Yeah, we'll definitely see if that happens. Um, but, man, I think the number one lesson I learned um, working on Capitol Hill, you know, you understand people, you understand how things work. Um, but the number one lesson I, I think I learned was, you know, the importance of building relationships and having the right relationships. And I look at someone like Senator Byrd who had, you know, I mean, his his reputation, the relationships he built, the things that he was able to get done, um, you know, are gonna go down in history. And so I felt like I was able to get some insight into that. Um, and 
you know, really benefit from that. And they're seeing how he lived like a full life. You know, he was someone who, coincidentally enough, you know, was extremely powerful. He, you know, he had been the most leadership positions in this party. You know, when he passed away, he was like third in line to be president, all that stuff. Um, but the thing that always struck me was like his devotion to his wife and to his family. You know, his wife was like his high school sweetheart. And I mean, even in, in his like 80s, the way he would like look at her and like, you know, like behave towards her was like they were still teenagers again, you know. And here was someone who had all the trappings of power, who had, you know, all these different things, um, who could have gotten into a lot of stuff. Um, but he was really committed to, you know, being like a, a moral person and um, valuing his family, his wife, and, you know, being sort of low key, like it's hard to be low key when you're third in line to be president, but the idea that he could be everywhere doing everything, but he still valued his privacy and his private life and his family, you know, I think is reflected in my attitude towards what I do as well. Um, you know, and I think, even being able to create that separation between what I do and then my own personal life um, just gives me more insight. You know, it helps me to become a helps me to be a better entrepreneur, um, and it balances out, you know, the craziness of what I do. So I think those are some of the things that I, I, I learned um, from Senator Berg. Now you're in sunny California now, but after DC. You're, you're making your way to New York, right? Mm -hmm. You made yeah. your way to New York. You told me that you landed in New York on one of the coldest days <laughs> of winter. How did New York shape your experience? And, you know, I think New York has given a lot of people a PhD entrepreneurship or just like the grind, if you can make Wait, it can here. Song here. Yes. <laughs> New York kicked my ass. Like, <laughs> I got off the train was during like the winter vortex that year, like one of the coldest years in like 20 years. I got my little suitcase, my little carry-on I'm pulling, you know, the streets is covered with snow and slush. A taxi drives by and splashes me and it's just like, welcome to New York. And yeah, my first year in New York was really brutal. I mean, it was like brutal, brutal. And it, you know, again, it's part of the, um, you know, a rite of passage, I feel, for a lot of folks, you know, whatever endeavor you, 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 when you go on that hero's journey, it's, it's rough. And my first year in New York was definitely rough. I mean, it was one of the coldest winters ever. Um, I didn't even have heat in my apartment. I had to use like a space heater. I had a job that I was really excited about that turned out not to be that great. It was like extremely stressful. Um, so I definitely think New York like pushed me to the limit and that's what it does you know i went there knowing that this was the biggest stage there is and i wanted to be on the biggest stage i wanted to test my talents i wanted to see how good i i am and how good i could be and so that's why i went there and kind of put myself through that but i'm happy that i learned you know i ended up leaving new york seven months later um sort of like in defeat with my with my tail between my legs i went back to dc but I wasn't finished, you know, like I, I took all the lessons that I learned from New York and all the things that didn't work out. And I 
it gave me a renewed sense of focus. I remember after that, when I got back to DC, I didn't know like what my next opportunity was going to be or what I was going to do next. But the one thing I did every single day, for like a hundred days straight, I would get up and I would run. And I ran like 10 miles a day for like a hundred days, every single day. I didn't know what I was preparing for, but I just knew that I was going to prepare myself. Um, and then a few months into that, you know, I got this opportunity to go back to New York and, you know, work with Dave and, you know, the rest is history. But I guess the lesson I learned in that situation and just, you know, following up on this theme of resilience is that, man, you never lose, you know, you either succeed or there's a lesson. And if you learn from the lesson, um, you can, you can succeed. And the one thing that experience taught me about myself was that I had another gear I didn't know I had, you know, like I had a level of faith I didn't know I had before that. It wasn't until I was like between that rock and a hard place where I found something within myself that just like, you know, I didn't know what was there. And I know I have that for the rest of my life now, you know, no matter what situation I'm in, I know that I can always go into that next gear and I wouldn't have gotten there unless it was for that experience. Um, so yeah, man, New York is a city that, and when I went back, my experience was a lot better. I mean, I, <laughs> I had so much gratitude for the job I had. I had a boss that I, you know, I really liked. I would literally, I would walk to work for like, the first couple of months I would walk to work, which was like maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes from where I lived. Um, just because I was so grateful, I would like tap dance to work just to remind myself of how grateful I was to, you know, be back and have the opportunity and have this totally different experience than the one that I had before. And I just felt like it was some sort of like divine intervention, um, you know, that allowed me to, you know, get a second chance to, to, to do it all again. And I was really fortunate that I just learned from the things that happened the year before and, you know, made the adjustments, made the changes. And that's what happens a lot in life. Like seldom do we get it on the first try, you know, it's really about learning those lessons and just iterating and not being discouraged it's about being resilient, um, you know, and bouncing back uh, when things don't go your way. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that you don't really lose, right? You like you may learn something from it, but you don't really lose. And when I use the words overcome anything, like that's what I mean, right? Yeah. And people like really speak to like overcome anything, like anything, like is that even possible? But it means that, right? Like it may not mean that you're going to actually succeed at that thing that you were doing, but yeah. it means that even in failure, you can overcome it. Yeah. And I like the idea of being able to tap into another gear or another level of yourself to be able to do it, right? To do the ne that next thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because that it was that same, during that period of me like running every day and just like preparing myself, I was just like, I don't know what, what's going to come, but I know I'm going to be ready for it. That was the energy that led me for the next five years, you know? Because when I got my new job, when I, you know, started my business, like that was the same exact, like, drive that pushed me, that propelled me, you know, to where I am today. So, again, if you can find a lesson in any situation, 
you know, you can gain from it. Yeah, for sure. So in comes this entrepreneurial spirit. You already kind of, I feel like you already were thinking about it, right? So what am I going to build, create? But where did the idea for Trap Karaoke come from? So the idea for Trap Karaoke sort of started as a joke uh, with a friend of mine. Um, it was during the summer where like Future was very popular. You know, everyone was Future Hive. There were like all these memes and stuff going on. <laughs> and, and still. Again, yeah. And again, you know, as a creator, one of the things that I think is super underrated is joy. And when you're in a space of joy, which I was in at the time, you know, you take those crazy ideas and you take them seriously. Um, and so I was in a state of just like joy because I was so happy with the job I had, you know, the boss I was working for and how, and just grateful that my life had improved so much from the previous year that it kind of just put me in this state of, um, you know, being willing to, to play. And when my friend, um, one of my friends who I met through Twitter, uh, he was like, like the president of Future Hive, you know, like he's one of the biggest Future fans. And so initially started with this idea I had of creating a browser plugin that could fuck up commas because he had that song. And so you press the button, all the commas on the web page would disappear, turn to money bags and it would play the song. And so again, this was, I've never coded before. So this was something that was just purely out of having energy and joy and just like, you know, play. And so, you know, I started working on that. And as I was iterating on that, I would send it to him and be like, hey, look what I did, you know, because I thought he'd appreciate it, someone who was such a big future fan. And then I think one day I hit him up and, you know, he was out to doing karaoke with his coworkers. And I said, uh, you know, wouldn't it be funny if you could do Migos karaoke or future karaoke? And he responded like a trap karaoke. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be hilarious. And so, you know, if it was at any other time, it would have probably, the conversation probably would have stopped there. You know, we both laughed it off and gone back to doing what we were doing. But um, again, I had so much energy and so much joy. I was like, you know what? I think I can actually do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who was like a motion graphic artist. And, you know, I had a friend who was a designer and he like mocked up the logo. I, I met with him, I remember on a bench and we kind of talked about the whole thing and the whole vision. And he helped me with like the creative um and then you know the, the the funny part was like the first event we did it was all <laughs> it was all a joke you know like i wanted to see my friend perform future because he was such a big future fan so like this whole thing was kind of just like an elaborate prank uh to get him to do it um he didn't actually end up doing it he came kind of late and, and missed his moment but um <laughs> i definitely knew something was in the air because when i was originally put out the RSVP. We had like all these RSVPs, people are talking about it. Like it was just nothing that I've ever seen. Like something about the word trap and karaoke together, <laughs> like blew people's minds in a way that I could have never fathomed. And, um, but then the actual day of the show, you know, we had all these RSVPs, like hundreds. Um, but again, people were like RSVPing for more than one person. But then the day of the show, like maybe, 30 people showed up mm -hmm. and it also rained, right? And not only that, the week before that, the venue that I was gonna have this, uh, this show at, 
I went there, their projector was broken. Like, <laughs> everything, like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I remember I had to go home for my brother's wedding and then come back. And, you know, I was just hoping that everything that I, I that would have been, would be fixed. And I will say, um, there was a tech at the, at the venue who I'm forever grateful for because he, uh-huh. he assured me um, that he was going to take care of it, you know, uh, before I had to go back home and, and, and um, go to my brother's wedding. Like I had all this anxiety coming <laughs> back, not, not knowing whether or not it would be taken care of, but he was a it man. Of yeah. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. And so, you know, but again, in life, you, you have, it's a, it's a process, right? Cause the first one I could have given up after that. I could be like, all oh, these people RSVP didn't show up, you know, but all I did, I took notes and I'm like, okay, what can I improve on for the second one? Mm-hmm. And it was became this thing of iterating and developing it. And by the third or fourth show, we were already taking it on the road to like DC and, you know, and then the word spread like crazy before, you know, it. I was going across country to LA. I'd never been yeah. to, to LA. <laughs> the Bay Area, it just became this like phenomenon. Um, and, you know, I I can only say it's like some sort of divine, <laughs> divine timing, how everything worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, something you do say is that you attribute the success of Trap Karaoke to 1% inspiration and 99% execution. And yeah. I thought that was like that part. <laughs> That's what I said, like that part. <laughs> And I think yeah. some people just are like, okay, people are inspired to do things. They are passionate about things. But when it comes down to actually executing stuff, that's where most people don't rise to the top. You, you're absolutely right. Um, and that was one of the things that I think gave me an edge that I didn't overthink it. You know, um, there were a lot of, there were a lot of like, what ifs. And one of my favorite sayings is that, you know, future problems have future solutions. Like we tend to think about the problems that we're gonna encounter in the future and let those stop us from moving now, but we don't anticipate that solutions are gonna arrive in the future as well. You know, There are not just problems in the future, there are also solutions in the future. So just because you don't have the solution right now, it doesn't mean that you're not gonna figure it out later on. And so I didn't let the perceived like problems uh, you know, that I was going to encounter along the way stopped me from like moving forward. Uh, I just had faith that, you know, I'm going to figure it out. I'll think of something like, I don't know how this thing is going to work yet, but I'll figure it out. The more I do it, the more I'm going to learn and eventually, you know, I'll understand it. So I, I, I'm a total believer in that, you know, like I think one of the biggest setbacks for folks is that they overthink, they overthink it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just good to just like, do it and just have that iterating mindset, you know, um, yeah. realize that you're going to you can improve it over time and you can learn from, you know, from your setbacks. So you've had so many like superstars on that have showed up for Trap Karaoke from 2 Chains to LeBron James to Wale to PD Pablo to, you know, New Orleans own Manny Fresh. Did you ever think that it would get this big? And when was the moment where you're like, oh, this is going to be big? Man. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah, this thing started as like, you know, sort of a, as a joke. But again, the most important thing that I, I've taken from the experience is that joy in creating 
when you have that joy in that play, it allows you to tap into something that connects with other people, you know? And so because I was in such a place of joy um, when I was creating it, I feel like I was able to tap into something that was universal that all of us have inside of us, you know, um, in terms of this desire for community and, and just black joy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wish I could say, sit here and be like one of those people like, yeah, when I was five years old, I knew I was going to create this thing. I knew it was going to be super successful and I knew it was going to be all that, but I can't. Um, but there was a point where I knew that, you know, this was, I remember the first show we did in Atlanta and that was when we had the first surprise guest and, you know, I had the option of doing like a smaller venue to let me rewind because I remember we did a show in, in New York in, um, in January and I'm sharing this because people need to know that it's not a straight line. <laughs> well, life is not a straight line. It was January of 2016. By this time, you know, things had caught on. People had heard about it and it was becoming popular. So we did this show. The show ended up being like way more people showed up than we anticipated. And someone clogged the bathroom in this venue and it flooded and people were outside complaining, wanting refunds. So I had to leave the stage. You know, I'm part of like the show and I had to like be outside, like, you know, trying to talk to people, doing customer service. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> this is New York. Like, people are mean. <laughs> right. And you're yeah, trying so to make sure that they don't think this is a janky promoter situation. <laughs> I was getting chewed out. Some woman told me that she was, like, you know, a retired officer. And, like, you know, you know what New Yorkers do? They, yeah. So I was just, like, so deflated after that. And literally a week later, I had a show. And that was going to be my first show in L.A. Then the Bay. But at that point it was one of those points where I could have just been like, oh, my God, you know what? Am I in over my head? You know, should I stop um, or do I keep pressing forward? But, um, you know, I decided to keep pressing forward after that. And that is a reminder that on the journey, you know, it's not a straight line. You know, you can have success and then you may have some speed bumps along the way, but you can't stop. You have to keep moving forward. And it wasn't until like a month after that where we did our first show in Atlanta. And, you know, we had the option of getting like the smaller venue or this bigger venue. And I'm like, I want to go bigger. I want to see if we could do this big venue. I went up doing the big venue and it sold out. And I was like, wow, you know, and that's kind of when the show became what it is today. You know, like it's a degenerate concert experience because something magical happens when you reach... You know, karaoke's used to being like sort of like an intimate experience with like a few people, you know. But when we cross that threshold of having like hundreds of people and then, you know, you have the audience interacting, they're singing along and it creates just like this other energy. Um, that's what I knew. And I saw the potential of it being something much, much more. Yeah. You call it... Um you said we're not party promoters, we're community organizers. Yeah. And I love that. Although that definitely ties back to your political policy roots. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I want to credit a friend of mine, um, a friend, Lauren. I remember I did a show in D.C. And, you know, I remember I had like lunch with her and I was talking to her and she's someone who's like 
you know, very active in, in, in social justice. And, you know, I was like, sort of kind of complaining, I guess. I was like, man, you know, because the theme, like the music, I'm trying to figure out like, I want to, how can I impact the world in a positive way? And she made me realize like, just giving people joy can be enough. You know what I mean? Just giving people a joy, a place where they can be themselves um, can be enough. And, you know, that really like stuck with me and realizing that for all the craziness that people experience during the week or out in the world, when they come to our show, you know, we can provide a space where people can really be themselves, where they can feel accepted, where they can feel fellowship, where they can just feel joy. If even for, you know, just a few hours and that there's value in that, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Before that I was kind of downplaying, you know, I was like, you know, <laughs> um, sometimes it's easy for us to, you know, take our perspectives for granted. You know what I mean? Um, we don't really know how valuable, our point of view can be. And at that point I was taking what I was doing sort of for granted. It was still early, but again, I was someone who came from politics and I figured like, you know, I got to feed like a million people. Like that's the only way you can really like make a difference in people's lives or, you know, on that scale, not realizing that just giving people joy, a reason to smile, a reason to have community, a place where they can create memories is just as valuable as, you know, some of that other stuff as well. Yes, I, you know, got to experience Chef Karaoke for the first time in New Orleans. And I mean, you say joy. First thing that comes to my mind is like being in a state of euphoria, right? Mm -hmm. Because you really are just happy. And that's like, <laughs> I know it seems like so simple, but yeah. you're around your friends. You know, I had the opportunity to come to the stage. I was like, what? I can't believe you attended the stage. <laughs> yeah. But it really is kind of. And I know that this most people, if you have, if you're watching this and you have not experienced chef karaoke, you may be like, Sinitra, really? But to the, this idea of like, oh, an out of body experience. Yeah. And it really is like that because you do like, I feel like you go into a different zone where you're in that yeah. element and everybody around you is in that element too. And, and I think that, that makes it powerful. And that's by design. And the term for it is collective evanescence and this idea that, you know, you see moments of this, like even in church when people, you know, they catch the Holy Spirit and everyone's kind of on the same accord or at a baseball game when everyone does the wave or something like that. But I think as humans and as social creatures, we have evolved to take joy in moments of synchrony when our realities can line up because we're all in our own world. We're all experiencing our own reality. But those moments when, you know, our realities intersect and we're all in unison, um, something magical happens, you know, we feel connected, we feel part of the whole. And the design of Trap Karaoke is about centering that, you know, we strategically create moments throughout the show to like amplify that, you know? And, you know, the, the place where that climaxes is like during our R&B set. And people are like, how do you do R&B at a Trap Karaoke show, and at a trap music show? And they don't really understand, like there's much more underneath it. We're all night. We're trying to get to that R&B set because that's the set where everyone is going to be singing along, and that's where the magic happens. And the goal for me has always been to transcend. You know what we do? It transcends trap music. It transcends karaoke. You know, to me, our north star is just this idea of black joy. 
It's like when you're with your friends and, you know, someone starts dancing and they start going, hey, hey, like that is the embodiment of what trap karaoke is. And it's hard to explain, but it's something that you, it's familiar once you experience it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like like swag surfing. Yeah, <laughs> like now, right? like everybody's like, "What? Let me run to that. Where? Let me. I heard it. Let me run to the crowd. You start looking for your people, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that again, all those things are strategic. You know, it's about throughout the night we're trying to get to that point where we can just get everyone in unison because that's when that that catharsis, that shared joy, that collective evanescence, that's when it you know it manifests. Okay, so now you're at essentially the height. Chap Karaoke is growing substantially. Um, you know, we're toasting you in New York and Tribeca for your birthday. Yeah. And then COVID-19 hits. Man. I will say, like, when I think about that moment and when I think about my friends across the different spaces and how they would be impacted, you're probably one who that first came to mind because I knew the impact that live events would have, right? Yeah. COVID-19. So what happens next? What is that, the day that you were like, oh, wow, we're going to have to cancel our shows? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, I was just like everyone else, you know, I was watching the news and you know, just trying to prioritize the safety of our community and everyone else. And um, it was totally unexpected. I mean, last year we were planning to do like a hundred shows, you know, I wanted to go everywhere, go to every city and then like two shows in. <laughs> and funny enough, our last show was actually in Louisiana. So our last two shows Baton Rouge, I believe. were in um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And then after that, it was just like, and I remember after that Baton Rouge show, which was amazing, there was this young woman who did like a Baychella um, dance uh, performance. And she did like, our host challenged her um, to see if she knew the choreography um, to, you know, Beyonce's Coachella performance. And she, she like knocked it out. And the crowd just went, <laughs> wow. It was one of the greatest, and I'm glad we got some video of it. It was one of the greatest moments in trap karaoke history. Um, but I remember leaving the venue that night and something just felt really eerie, you know? And it was like really silent in the car as we were all driving. We were all kind of just like, man, that was a great show. But something in the air just felt eerie. And you, I, who would have known that that would have been the last show that we would have done in 2020, our last live show. Um, so, yeah, initially when the, the pandemic hit, you know, our goal, our number one priority was just making sure that our community stayed safe. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we can't, we postponed all our events. We refunded all tickets. You know, we would give people updates and encourage people to social distance and, and be safe and, and so forth. And um, eventually, though, I think we ultimately hit our stride once we started to pivot into doing virtual shows. Um, we already had like a really, really, really good live show. I mean, at this point, going to 2020, it was like the peak. You know, we had this incredible host, DJ. Like, to me, this was like the ultimate manifestation of the vision of how I wanted the show to be where, you know, anyone who came to the show at this point knew it was more than just trap music. It was something else. It was about, you know, like a Black family reunion. Um, and so you you have like a masterpiece and now it's like, okay, you got to start over, you know? And so we started experimenting with like virtual live stream shows. And again, 
just like the first TK, the first virtual show wasn't that great. You know, we were trying to figure out how to translate the live show to the virtual realm. Um, and it just, you know, in my mind, I thought, you know, we could use a lot, like a lot of video footage and stuff that we had gotten from our live shows, but it didn't really translate to virtual. And so I basically had to just start from scratch. And so the first one was kind of okay. Um, you know, there were some good things and some bad things. Um, but, you know, I was so focused after that. I was like, okay, what can I learn? What needs to be improved? I was, you know, I took like meticulous notes, everything um, that I thought I could improve. And by the second show, I... I mean, we totally nailed it. Like, I would even say now our virtual show is probably even better than our live show, um, just because of the things we learned and also how access accessible it is. People right. Our live shows, they're like, man, this virtual show, I get to turn up in my living room and I go to sleep right after. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, re I really, I really like, um, really like dove in on the strengths of, you know, what, what can we do different with live stream? You know, are, are our shows, you know, only a handful of people get to get on stage. Uh, but with a live stream, we can have hundreds, thousands of people get on screen, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're able to create this, you know, trap karaoke lit in the living room experience. And I mean, looking back at the pandemic, you know, I did some other things as well. You know, I created a new game show called Make It Make Sense around memes. Um, it was also a great time for me personally because I had been traveling so much, you know, like mm -hmm. basically nonstop for five years. And so for the first time I got to actually sleep, you know, yeah. uh, catch up on sleep. I read a bunch of books. I got to really like be still, um, invest in like my personal health, uh, my mental health and also, um, just like my own knowledge, you know? And, Looking back, you know, I was looking back the other day and I was like kind of checking off like all the things that I got done during the pandemic. And I was like, holy crap, like, you know, at the time it didn't seem because it was such a long year and there were so many Very long. super long, you know, you kind of lose track. But I'm like, wow, I'm really proud of like what I was able to get done during that time, you know. And so even though I didn't get to do 100 shows, I think I was able to make the best out of the situation and I got a lot of value out of it. And I know the mm -hmm. brand and the experience that we're going to deliver going forward is going to be 10 times better because of that. And we're already actually planning shows for this fall. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Here in Very New cool. Orleans, people are planning um, festivals. So I personally look forward to like, the in-person experience again. And I'm sure you and your team are as well. And you, as kind of like the leader of the pack, trying to, I, I don't think there probably could be a better person than you in a position of leadership, just because you're so calm, collected, and optimistic. Thank you. Thank and you. Yes, yes. Jason is also the person that really got me into like meditation and got me to buy this headset, Muse. I mean, do you kind of attribute those things to how you dealt with the pandemic, right? Even going into it because your your personality and um, a lot of your characters already kind of speak to, okay, this is what's about to happen. This is what we need to do next. Like, stay calm. You know, we can only control what we can control. 
Absolutely. Like I've been meditating for the longest consecutive period um, ever since um, because of this pandemic. And what I finally got to do that I didn't get to do before because I was always traveling is I got to put it all together. So, you know, I, I have a trainer that I train with like, you know, now five days a week. I got to do my have more a one hour morning stretch routine. You know, I do my meditation, I do my breath work. So I finally got to like integrate all these like self-care um, modalities. And once you start integrating them, that's when it really amplifies the effect, you know, because if you're meditating alone and your body is, you know, you have a lot of tension in your body, ultimately that tension is going to make its way up into your mind. I always say a stiff body creates a stiff mind. And so... Um, the fact that I was able to have time just to integrate all these different modalities. I mean, I feel like I'm probably the best version of myself that I've ever been because I've had the opportunity to kind of really like put it all together. Um, and so even coming out of this pandemic, one of the things I've emphasized to my team is, you know, I think the world is going to open up quicker than people realize. And one of the things that I look back on that I would have done differently when the pandemic started was that I was just like everyone else, like just shell shocked. I mean, this is a once in a hundred year thing. And, you know, I was doom scrolling too. I was, you know, <laughs> I was watching CNN. They had, you know, facts and fears. They had a counter of how many people are dying every single day. And so without realizing it, it created this, this like mentality of like of fear and scarcity. You know, and we also had a very erratic president that was just kind of all over the place. Um, and so, you know, we're all just kind of just like in a daze. But I told my team, like, the most important thing that we can do coming out of this is just to be aggressive, you know, um, making sure that we do not, you know, we don't stumble coming out of this, you know, that we're focused, that we're prepared and that we're ready to hit the ground running. Um, and we really lean into these opportunities that I think are going to be incredible, you know, not just for live events, but just in general, you know, I think there's going to be like another roaring twenties. Yeah. So, but it's only if you're prepared, just like how there were companies that were able to, you know, have a lot of opportunities going into the pandemic. I think there's going to be businesses that are really going to be successful coming out of the pandemic, but you, you have to lean into it and you can't, uh, you can't be scared. You can't have that fear scarcity mindset. You got to be aggressive. You got to, Lean forward. So I was going to ask you, what are you most looking forward to? I think you're you kind of shared a little bit of that. Um, this idea of this potential roaring toy. I believe that is going to happen as well because people are so itching for that human reconnection and yeah. like live experiences. And I love the fact that that's going to happen because it's almost like and nothing is so biblical here, but like God taketh and he giveth. Right. And so. Yeah. It's kind of like with live events, particularly, everything was taken. And to be able to come back on a large scale where people are like back with a vengeance is a real powerful two years. It took almost two years to happen, but it's happening. I'm going to tell you a story. And, you know, I'm not generally a superstitious person, but... Um, <laughs> One of our last shows, I remember we had a show in D.C. February 28th, and the, the day of the show, I was going to the show, this Uber driver picked me up, and 
this like very interesting guy, very interesting looking guy. Um, he was like, you know, kind of younger. And when I got in the car, he tried to guess like my, my Zodiac sign. I was like, oh no, that's, that's not it. And he was like, are you sure? I'm like, no, no, that's not it. So as we're driving to the show, you know, we're in heavy traffic. So we're talking, we're having all these conversations and he just starts like, I mean, it's one of the most incredible experiences. I've actually been trying to find him since then, but he started telling me sort of about his life and how he had like these near death experiences and, you know, started like picking up on all these like weird things that have happened in my life, you know, like just things that, you know, a random person that you just meet probably would have never guessed. Um, and on our way driving there, he's like, you should, you should get your birth chart. And, you know, people always ask you to do that. It's kind of weird. I'm like, okay. Um, and I, he's like, it'll, you know, it'll take five minutes. So I get my birth chart on this website that he suggests. And then the, the Zodiac sign that he pointed to when I got into the car ended up being like on my birth chart. And I pointed out that to him. He's like, he was like, yeah, see, I knew it. I knew it. Um, which is just a random thing. But one of the things he emphasized to me, he was like, you know, into numbers and stuff. And he would look at these license plates as we were driving to the venue. And he was like, um, you know, the story of Job from the Bible, like you need to read that. You need to meditate on that. Like that's going to be very important um, for you to understand. And that is exactly what's happening right now. You know, the story of Job in the Bible where, you know, Job was tested and everything was taken from him. Um, but he kept his faith and then the Lord returned everything to him 10 times over. And, you know, as the pandemic progressed, I was like, how did this guy know? I mean, again, it could have just been a random coincidence, but um, so many of the things that he pointed out came to pass. And I always remember that story of Job um, where he talked about, you know, that I needed to like really read that and revisit that and how important that was going to be for what comes next. Um, and you know, that's what we're seeing manifesting now, as far as I'm concerned. So sorry for the random. <laughs> no, that's a perfect way. I feel like it's a perfect way to end this conversation. I mean, what better way to end it? Yeah. And I look forward to seeing what comes next, what's happening in the fall, attending, hopefully come to New Orleans again, or maybe I have to catch it in New York. Uh, either way, I plan to be in the building and with all my friends there as well. And congratulations on everything. I think that we definitely, we're moving so fast sometimes and yeah. 2020 allowed us to slow down and really think about like, oh, what really matters, et cetera. I mean, you're always posting, you know, at the end of the day, none of this really matters, right? And I think the things that we worry about, right? And the things that we are hypersensitive about um, and like the work that we're doing, the things that bring us joy are the things that really matter in, in the end. So thank you. I want to congratulate you as well, you know, on the release of your, your amazing book. I recently got my delivery so I can't wait to, to unpack it and dive in. Um, but Thank just, you. Like, you know, I am a believer that the world is something that we make and could easily remake. Um, all the rules are fake, you know. All the rules are fake. Yeah, so we can, we can, we can, we can reshape the world. Um, you know, we always have a choice as long as we know we have one. So, you know, we make the meaning. Thank you, Jason. 
Yeah. All right. Thumbs up. That was great. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, sorry, I was I late. I appreciate it. No, it was great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking out the time of your day and then also for showing up with the good lighting and backdrop. Yeah, I can't. You know, I tried to put on a shirt. Like, you know, I, I, it. I was like, let me at least try to look decent. You know? I'm going I'm to like post up like, Jason! <laughs> Chef Karaoke is coming back. I love. I can't wait for that to happen. But yeah, even in New Orleans, like all the festivals and stuff are basically happening in this fall. So I'm it's, I'm excited it, for everyone. It's gonna be incredible. It's gonna yeah. be, you know, a great time. And I think we'll also rejoin all this with a sense of gratitude and appreciation that maybe Don't we didn't have before. Absolutely. Don't think take things for granted. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I will give you back um, your time. And Trayvon is probably here about to wrap us up. So let me okay. bring him. But yeah, thank you, Jason. And we'll definitely have to uh, catch up outside of this too. So yeah, absolutely. I may I may be traveling there soon. Yes. Hey. <laughs> what's up? What's up? How's it going? It's good. Things are going well. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, no, great session. Um, great session there. I uh, just wanted to pop up, say what's up. Um, I think you actually, you, you know Eden? Yeah. Yeah, so Eden, Eden works with us. Uh, um, so I was telling her today, I was just like, oh, wow, like, I think this is the same Jason. And she was just like, you know yeah. what? She, she knows the story of that Uber driver. She was in the car, too. Like, she was there. <laughs> and we were just like, what? what are you? Like, literally everything this guy said came to pass it was like one of the most you know i'm sure we all have weird uber driver stories but that one will always <laughs> he literally was like telling me what was gonna happen and it, i'm gonna have to ask her i'm definitely gonna ask her i'll, I'll talk to her today and, and be like hey tell me the uber story <laughs> yeah. I love she's, it. Gonna, she's gonna she's gonna be really happy <laughs> beautiful beautiful well I thank you so much there <laughs> I will, uh, I'll get this rendered off and, and push to you. Uh, but thank you all. I'll talk to you all later. All right. Bye, thank you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to From Solid Ground to Resilient with me, your host, Savitra Wilson. If you like this show, subscribe, listen, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This helps us reach more people like yourselves, risk takers, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and the likes. Also, be sure to visit CivitraWilson.com and sign up for my newsletter. There you can download everything from my actual pricing sheets to pitch decks, capability statements, and more. All to help you get your entrepreneur wheels turning and your business growing. To learn more about my show and listen to all my podcast episodes, go to abfc.co backslash shows. Until next time, remember, even if no one sees it for you, you have to see it for yourself. Let your work be a testament to your grit, gratitude, passion, persistence, and most importantly, resiliency. Thank you.